Network Podcast. My name's Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Hey, and welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 69 today. Don't make the joke. Don't make the joke. It's already been made. (laughs) I'm sorry. If you didn't make the joke, then I made it by saying to not make the joke. So, yeah, that shows, uh, that shows, uh, well, that shows who I am. So welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. This is for real, episode 69 of the podcast, and we're really happy to have you today. Hope you had fun last week talking through some of the things with Zachary James photos, speaking on everything from working with clients, working with different people and the human element and everything like that. This week, we talked to Hillary Lane, who is really interesting to talk to because she's combining some of these these elements in the way that we look at a brand, the way that we shape a brand in the sense that she helps people take Airbnbs and make it look like the Airbnb you want to stay at instead of the one that you skip over, right? She also helps businesses become a different view of what that business is, a different brand in terms of website, in terms of definitely like the design in a business is what she really loves, the process and the, if you're a restaurant, the menus, like she helps make things seen as a different thing and and be what they really should be so that people engage with them and, and as a brand. So lots of talk between that and real estate. And it all ties back to being creative and, and running a creative business. So that's why we're here, right? If you haven't listened to the podcast before, we hang out with creative entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, freelancers, and stuff like that. I'm an audio engineer, so I'm Normally, just a little bit biased to music and, and audio, but I try to mix it up because I think you can learn things from everyone in that space. And I really believe that all creatives kind of tie back to being the same thing, only just using different medians to get there. So, really excited to have you guys today. Definitely a long episode. So, hit this one in your, your car rides or break it up a little bit. And uh, for anyone that wants to support the show, we just made merch finally. And we've been trying to not have any advertisements or any bullshit in the podcast so we don't ruin your listening experience. But that also means that we're not bringing in any income, but we are paying to have the show be alive. So if you want to support the podcast financially, we do have a Patreon that's got some options on the website, if you go to wakingupfromwork.com, you can find our Patreon connection to get over to some things that we offer digitally that way. Or you can be really cool and buy a t-shirt. If you go to wakingupfromwork.com, there's a merch tab there. You can go ahead and click that and it brings you over. And that's also supporting a small business because Simon, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, works for the Skinny Armadillo down in Texas and they make it to order. So they're going to make that shirt and send it right to you. And I'm going to keep podcasting. So if you haven't picked one up, would really help me out and support the show by grabbing one. 
If you're not a t-shirt person, there's some cool stuff over on Patreon to work with me and advertise, at least in terms of getting shout outs and things like that. So uh, thank you guys for hanging out. Let's hit episode 69 of the Waking Up From Work podcast. So welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. Today you're listening to episode 69. Thank you guys for hanging out on Instagram. Thank you for hanging out on the podcast here. If you're listening, it's early morning maybe. Today on the podcast, we're like normal. We've just got guests that are mixed up each time. And uh, this is someone that I usually don't get to do this, Hillary, but I got to speak and hang out and have some lunch with Hillary like two weeks ago before we had the podcast to meet her and share stories. And we definitely clicked. So today I'd like to welcome on Hillary Lane, who is the owner and founder of Getaway Vacation Properties and Craft Business Builders. And I'm sure she'll go off and continue to keep creating other things because she's a creator here. Uh, welcome, Hillary. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. This is my first ever podcast I'm on. So really nice. excited. I've gotten that a couple times from some people. And I always <laughs> tell them that when they're like rich and famous, like 50 years past this podcast, that the Waking Up From Work podcast is the first one that had yes. Hillary Lane. I think it's very symbolic. <laughs> it's perfect that that's the first. Yeah. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So for for those of you that don't know Hillary at all, she is currently on her last day at a Airbnb in York right now while she's making money on her Airbnb. So she's kind of living an interesting life, but uh, either way, I'm seeing pictures of her kayaking in the, in the harbor and things like that while she's making her living. So it's, it's definitely an interesting story that we get to hear today. Hillary, do you want to just run people through, you know, what is craft business builders? What is getaway vacation properties? And how did that happen for people that don't know? Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully this doesn't get too long-winded, but I like to, I think my businesses make a lot more sense when you know a little bit about my background and sort of how I came to create them. So I've always been an entrepreneurial person my entire life. I've been, I've had lots of ideas. I've started little businesses when I was a kid. Um, I went to school for business and entrepreneurship and I always knew I wanted to own a business someday. You know, I, I didn't really have any specific one in mind and I got really lucky. I went to Northeastern University um, and had a co-op, which is like a six month full-time internship at uh, Staples, actually, Staples headquarters in Massachusetts. Um, And I just uh, fell into a really, really fortunate position where I had an amazing first boss and an amazing first job. um, And I got to do so much and really, really loved everything I got to learn there from. uh, So basically, I was helping bringing, bringing new products to market and helping shape the strategy around that from everything from like packaging design to deciding what products would go on store shelves um, to doing all sorts of like business analysis on sales and 
That's awesome. Avenue. And yeah, I got exposure to it. You know, it was not an internship where you're making photocopies. Like I was really thrown into it and was really loving life for a while. Uh, so I, I was fortunate to have that job once I graduated and was there for quite a few years and was uh, managing product categories and getting exposure to merchandising and pricing strategies and you know marketing things for products and catalogs and online. Um, so I really learned a ton uh, there. And then at one point, there was a, a change in management on my team and there were some bigger changes that the company was going through. And my the part of my job that I loved was shifted away. Um, and just through like a series of events, I found myself really all of a sudden unhappy there. Um, and I just had this like, you know, bigger picture view of it where I realized, so at the time I was only 24 when all this was happening. And I thought to myself, like, really, I feel like I can do a lot, but I'm not being given the opportunity to do everything that I want to do here. And I feel like I'm not being challenged anymore. And I thought to myself, like, if I just go to a different job, like, I feel like I'm just a dime a dozen. I'm, I'm a young 20 something, a couple of years out of college with a business degree. Like, I just feel like I'm going to be shuffled right into another similar, like job where I'm not challenged. Um, and so anywho, I got it in my head at that point that I thought maybe I would start my own business. So I started brainstorming and, you know, I didn't have a specific, you know, lifelong passion that I knew, you know, wanted to own. I came at it from a really analytical standpoint and really thought like, what are the types of businesses that I think I could feasibly do as a first time business owner? Like what feels straightforward to me? Like what feels like a skill set that I'd be able to, you know, add value to. And then I thought about like what types of businesses I knew could be profitable and do well. And I ended up landing on coffee shop as my idea. I had like worked in food service when I was younger, always loved the fast pace of it and just felt like that was some place where I knew the business model could work. You know, I wasn't inventing something new and it was really just a matter of creating a unique coffee shop that could stand out from, you know, other options in the area and, you know, be, do well. So I set upon, you know, it became like my passion project. I would be really unhappy in my corporate job and I would go home after work every day and work on this business plan. And I was like obsessed with it. Like every day I was just excited to come home, excited to jump on my laptop again and work on all this research I was doing and, um, creating, like I was creating, uh, spreadsheets with like revenue forecasts and trying to, you know, come up with, um, menus and creative concepts and I ended up at one point going to Coffee Fest, which is like the biggest coffee trade show in New York City. Um, so I went and did that as a trip and really just started like learning everything I could learn about business, the restaurant business, coffee shops, running a coffee shop. And even Straight though I worked right what in. Was that? diving in. Oh, diving in. Like I'm I'm creative, but I'm also very like data. Like I want to know the facts. I want to like, like research the heck out of things. Um, so 
yeah, that was definitely my passion project for um, a while. And it, it, you know, it got to the point at one point I was, you know, trying to get a bank loan at one point, um, you know, and I actually got laughed out of the banks because I was young. Like actually, was, like actually, like they were being so that ridiculous. Never, so to be fair, so I actually never presented to a bank, but what I did was go to one of the small business development centers, yeah. which is like an offshoot of the SBA. And I started to, I tried to work with a, like a mentor there and I was pretty much laughed at by that person basically saying, you can't go to a bank. You don't qualify for this. You have no collateral. You have no business experience. Like you can't get a bank loan without those two things. And I remember feeling so devastated because I had gone to school for business and entrepreneurship. And I remember being taught in, in college about how to write a business plan and take it to the bank. And yeah. they had made it sound, sound at the time that if you had a really good idea and you wrote a really good business plan, that you could take it to a bank and get a loan. Yeah. It was so oversimplified. Not the and, case. And also, like, I also, unfortunately, have had that same experience where where I went to a different, I think it was a different probably type of group, but a type of group like that and started talking about my plan to open like a studio and go full-time audio. And they were just acting like that wasn't a way that people made money. And when like I talked to the guy, you realize that it's just from his own bias where like he's never seen that business before, but he's not someone like me who is surrounded by people who are full-time audio and music. And it's just like those people, you're just like, just because you don't know and you have that bias doesn't mean that that's the truth and that you you have the ability to act that strongly about how unconfident you are in me for what I'm doing just because you don't know what's possible in that way. Like, come on. well, it's just a reflection on for it's like one of those things where maybe the system's broken, but it's just a reflection that banks are incredibly conservative, actually. Like they're not entrepreneurial, you know, they, they have these SBA loans that are designed for small businesses. And that's what you're told is what you'd be able to get to start a business. But in reality, you need to have collateral to put against the loan. So like a house or, or something. Um, and you, need to show relevant like either business ownership or at least like management experience and and um you know so when I saw when I met with this mentor initially I was just so like I think like mortified almost like to feel so confident in my idea and then to feel so like unbelieved in by this person and I was like so shocked and horrified and and just set and plus like you're feeling very um you know insecure because you don't really know what you're doing and um and I said how do I said well how do people start businesses then when they when it's their first one and he said the three f's friends family and (laughs) I don't even know what the third one was it was like basically you beg borrow and steal and ask for money and I'm like okay, you don't know my family. You don't know my friends. Like I would never ask my family for money. Like they they don't have it to give. That's not how this works. Like 
Yeah. Even though I believe in myself here, I knew that I didn't want to put, you know, any family in the position of feeling like uncomfortable. So yeah, I wouldn't that, either. I, yeah. I, I don't blame you. Like that's, I would never ask people for money to start my, I understand, I understand that there's nothing wrong with it too. If you're out there and you're doing that, if you have someone that you feel comfortable going to, and that's going to work, do whatever you have to do, guerrilla warfare to make it so that you get to do what you want to do. No, no thing on that. But I'm on the same way, Hillary, where I'm like, I don't, I don't know anyone in my family that quite frankly believes in it enough. Just like we talked earlier, like when we had lunch, we're like, if you're not going to believe it, even if you're nice enough to give me the money, if you're not going to believe it and you think that it is going to be a failure, I don't want the money. I don't want it. Exactly. Don't want it. So I remember at that point, um, leaving there feeling like a complete knife to the gut and thinking like, oh my God, this is dead in the water. I don't know how to do this. But I am also, I'm a person that is extremely creative in how I will come up with solutions also in problem solving. And so for me, it wasn't a matter of if I was going to start this business, it was a matter of how am I going to do it? Right. Love that attitude. Yeah. It's never a matter of if it is just always a matter of how and when. Hell yeah. (laughs) So I basically came up with, uh, so first off starting a coffee shop, like from scratch, if you're going to build one from scratch, new equipment, like build out, you're going to be looking at like at least a quarter of a million. Um, and that felt out of the realm. So then I found out that you can actually buy businesses, existing businesses for less, in some cases for less money than it costs to start. Um, So I found a cafe for sale um, that had been struggling. So it was at, you know, I guess a bit of a discount. Um, You know, sales weren't great, but it was a location that I liked. It had outdoor seating, it had parking, it had the infrastructure. And I basically looked at it as something that I could flip um, and turn into what I needed it to be. So that was like a fraction of the cost to buy. And there was also some financing that they helped with. Um, and then to fund it, I mean, I had some of my savings and I ended up financing the rest of it with personal loans and credit card balance transfer offers where they give you like 0% for 12 months, things like that. Like I just like took money from whatever creative, like personal loan situations that I could come up with. Um, because I believed in myself enough to believe that it would work, but I just needed the money to do it. So that this is a, you know, I'm get, maybe getting off on a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but it's a good um, story. So Thanks. It's <laughs> I mean, a, no, maybe helpful it, in its own right. It's helpful. I've heard it people. And that's why yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that it, she actually did definitely cover her whole story. Cause I think that it's a good, there's all sorts of, different interesting rabbit holes right yeah yeah um so yeah that was my like so overall it probably took me about a year and a half from when I decided I was going to do it until I said to myself okay I'm ready and then it took another six months because I was location searching and at that point I was still considering like 
you know, trying to find an existing cafe to buy or finding an empty cafe space to lease. I was doing all of that research. So it took me another, so in, in total, it took me two years from the, like the day I decided I was going to do it to the day, like I actually bought this place, but the whole time I was planning for it. Wow. Um, so I finally did it. I coordinated the whole thing. I let my boss know, you know, what I was doing, leaving my job, I, you know, gave her a few weeks notice and, um, and I had the, the sale of the business lined up and there it was, you know, I went to a lawyer's office one morning and signed closing documents and then I owned the business that day. So oh my God, what a feeling. Yeah, it was crazy. So it's cool buying an existing business in that you have staff and it is running. <laughs> so I came so in weird. as the new owner and all these, you know, people working for me knew what they were doing and I didn't. So they just, I just let them do their thing. I just watched and observed and learned and like watched them take orders and make food and whatnot. Um, but the place was, so it was best known for ice cream. It all, they were also doing like hot dogs and sandwiches, but it wasn't, they didn't have very good food and it wasn't popular for that. So yeah. it was mostly an ice cream business and I kind of let it roll for the summer because I bought it in June. So I let it do its thing, make its money, um, you know, through ice cream for the summer. I learned the ropes. I figured out like, how to submit payroll and like how to place my orders and like how to hire people and just was like figuring it out as I went, but it was my little like practice playground. And how old are you at this point? I was 26. It's a lot to do. Yeah. So I ran it as is the whole summer. And then the whole time I was planning on closing it and flipping it. Um, so when like Labor Day rolled around end of summer, I announced that we were closing for renovations and like told all my staff what I was up to. And sure enough, like we closed for renovations. I put all these fun signs up that said like coming soon. And it was called Blue Coast Coffee is what I was turning it into. And it was going to be like a coastal themed concept. So it was in central Massachusetts, not on the ocean, but it was going to be this like ocean coastal inspired themed place. Um, I ended up having like cedar shingle walls inside with like lobster buoys hanging and like awesome. light blue paint and um, some, you know, lighthouse pictures. And the whole thing was like really fun and coastal vibe. Um, and it ended up, you know, I'll, I'll summarize the rest of it, but that business in a nutshell, like it did really, you know, had its normal, like slow, you know, you just open your doors and I need to ramp up a different, um, you know, customer base, but it was successful from the start. Like everyone absolutely loved it, loved our food. Like we were getting five-star reviews on Yelp and we pretty quickly got to the point where we were the number one rated restaurant on both Yelp and TripAdvisor wow. out of wow. 85 restaurants in town, including like ones that had been around for a long time and like the fine dining steakhouse in town. And, Damn. But we like rating wise, we were number one. Um, and Which it, matters a yeah. lot because for people to do a good rating means like, I don't know, people only do bad ratings. So when you get enough good ratings to pass the competition, like you kind of crushed it. 
Exactly. And we were oh, yeah. getting, so we made the, we made egg sandwiches from scratch, like to order. And that's really what we like became known for. So we would get five star reviews that just said like best fucking egg sandwiches I've ever had in my <laughs> life. And, and people being like, I'm just passing through town. I don't even live here, but like, holy crap. And so we were, that's awesome. That, and that's, I mean, like, that's how I roll. Like I, I'm, a perfectionist in that way, you know, like I'm not going to put out something that isn't awesome. It's like, if you're going to do something, do it like, you know, and so we had all these like really fresh made bagels from a local bakery and like breads delivered from a, a different bread bakery and just all sorts of good vendors, good quality food, like awesome staff. I, I trained my staff to be competitive too. I'd, I'd like reward them when we got the five-star reviews and nice. <laughs> like became this fun game. Like, you know, we want to be the best at, at what we're doing. Um, so again, summarizing it overall, the business did really well, very popular from a customer standpoint, but I running it for me, uh, you know, it's a seven day a week business that I was running and managing myself. And I was always looking for more help. Like I, I wasn't, I'm not that person that's trying to do everything myself. I was always looking for employees and managers and stuff, but it's really hard to find good people in the restaurant industry. And, yeah. um, I just had, I think like my best people were my little part-time high schoolers who could barely work ever. And then, you know, it was just really hard to find like more full-time people. And I, I just really ended up feeling very ball and chain to the place. Like I couldn't really get away ever. And for the first couple years, I was like burning out really hard. I was missing out on family stuff, holidays, friends, birthdays, you know, trips in the summer. Like I, I was doing none of it. Um, and so I pretty quickly, you know, a year and a half in, I was like, okay, I don't think that this business for me is a good fit for like who I am. Like I'm a person who has that introverted side. I need my alone time sometimes. Like I need to recharge. I mean, seven days a week unless like I don't know. I, I can't even imagine seven days a week of something that you love, like will never burn you out if you're not like doing some things to break it up. Like I love recording and I love music, but if I do it seven days a week straight up and there's no, like no break, like I'm not kayaking or like going to see my brother, like, like just something to break up shit, then like I'm going to get burnt out too. So like, I, I can't imagine that you couldn't not get burnt out. Sorry yeah, for like the it, triple negative or whatever the hell I just did. But like, I can't, I, I don't know how you wouldn't feel burnt at that point. Yeah, it, it definitely felt like, um, like the world's longest, like boot camp or something like mental toughness. Talk about it. Like you, I went into it knowing that like for a few months, I probably wouldn't have a day off. But I thought to myself that like within a few months, I would start getting the, to the point where I could step away a bit and that just like wasn't happening. So it was this like every single day, Real. like I got to be there going in, you have to like mentally prepare yourself. So, and I don't, you know, I, I, it was the most amazing and, you know, impactful experience I've had in my life was 
starting and owning this business for sure. So I don't regret any of it, but I definitely didn't anticipate and I guess didn't plan well enough for like management help and just really found myself like stuck there. And it also kind of turned into the type of thing where like anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Like we had equipment that would always be breaking. We got robbed. Like I had an awful landlord. Nice. Oh yeah. I I had a landlord, a slum landlord that would like, I, we had a leak in the kitchen and I would, you know, be all bothered and asking him to get that fixed. And, and then he'd threaten me that if I pushed him, that he'd call the health department on me and like have me shut down. So like, he was an awful person and I was like being bullied, um, by him, but anywho, like the whole thing was, I just realized that although I created a successful business that for me as a person, it wasn't the right fit, like to own and run. So I ended up looking for, um, you know, I put it up for sale eventually and, uh, was able eventually to, um, and so in total, I owned it a little less than four years. Um, and yeah, I mean, by the end, I, I mean, I was going through all sorts of identity crisis too. Like, what do I do now? Like, what is my career? <laughs> Where am I going? Like, yeah, this feels like a, this, this feels like a job again. Right. Like, who am That's I? That's what I tried to escape. Who am I? Like, if I'm not a coffee shop owner now and I don't want to do the corporate world, like, who the heck am I and where am I going? So I actually met with a, like a business coach at that point and he kind of turned me on to real estate stuff. Like we talked about my strengths and I talked about how I had loved um, the actual renovations of the coffee shop and how much I had loved like creating it in the beginning and coming up with the design concept and even the actual like hands-on renovation part was a blast. Um, you know, and creating the brand, the menu, I really loved all that. And he kind of suggested real estate stuff, like either flipping or rental properties. And he got me all interested in that. And I kind of realized like there was a lot there that fit well with my strengths and what I was looking for right, without right. the the hassle of the day-to-day, like of a retail business, basically. Um <laughs> Someone in the comments is saying, I want a coffee shop. I yeah, haven't, Chad. <laughs> I, I haven't convinced you not to own one yet. I know. If, I don't know if you just jumped in, Chad, but like she was just telling us about getting robbed and having a slumlord landlord. So like for sure, like own a coffee shop would actually be really sick. But like Hillary's story is not like the appealing one, I guess. But if you still want to after that, man, like go get a coffee shop because that means like he's like all in like Chad's like about it. Right, right. So you gotta be a special kind of person to run a coffee shop, and you know maybe you're that kind of person, but I was not. I was like, like you fell in love with the piece of the process that you didn't realize that you loved until you did it. Yeah. And then this business coach was basically like, "You loved some of this, you just don't love this piece of it. So like, why don't we deduct that piece?" Absolutely. So like the day to day of the coffee shop, like as often as possible, I'd be hiding out in back. I I didn't have an office, but there was this like chest freezer. So I would just stick my laptop on top of the chest freezer and had a little stool. And that was my office. I was like 
in play, you know, I'm just sitting in the kitchen, basically like in the corner of the kitchen over by the, the <laughs> gas lines and the electric panel and, and like, you know, trying to do some office work and, oh and be there to supervise and answer questions and whatnot, but like not have to be out front because I was just so drained and, uh, and my, you know, my staff would be like, why are you sitting in back? And I'm like, I can't take another order. I can't do it. So I'm like, you guys are all fresh and chipper and smiley. You go do it. Yeah. And I was just burned out as hell sitting in the back corner of my kitchen. Yeah. But um, but anywho, so finally was able to sell it. I took the opportunity to go to Maui for a month. So that was like a little bit of a pent up vacation over four years of not getting days off. <laughs> so I was able to do that. And then for a while previous to that, I had actually been thinking about moving to New Hampshire. You know, personally, where my coffee shop was, was near where I grew up. But uh, over the years, my friends had, you know, moved away from the area and, right. you know, pretty much found myself left in a little suburb without any of my friends around. And um, so I moved up to New Hampshire and I had in my head, like from the day I sold my coffee shop or even before, I had this idea in my head for what is now Getaway Vacation Properties, um, which is inspired by my love of real estate and design and renovations, and also my realization over the many, many, many years of, I guess, pre-coffee shop ownership when I used to do fun things with my friends. And we used to travel a lot um, locally. We used to look for, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, we would um, be always be looking for places up in like Vermont or New Hampshire, like houses we could rent for the weekend. Oh, yeah. You know, it's for eight or 10 of us or 15 of us to go for New Year's, maybe somebody's birthday, maybe a ski trip. So we were kind of always looking for places to stay. And I think this was pre Airbnb. So we were using like VRBO was the thing back then. So I, and I was always, you know, you might be able to tell the planner of my uh, group of friends. And I would like spend hours scrolling through these VRBO listings, looking for a cool place to stay. And, you know, you'd have a number of people in mind. It needs to sleep eight or 10. And, but other than that, like didn't have a whole lot of requirements other than we would just want this to be a cute, comfy place to stay for the weekend, right? Um, Because we were going to like stay in a lot. We were going to play board games and cook family style dinners and have a fire fire pit. Like, you know, we were younger and didn't have money to be doing much. But so you wanted like to hang out at the house with your friends, essentially. Um, And I just remember like how many listings I would scroll through thinking, oh my God, like, I don't want to stay here. And you know, it would just be like, you'd look at, okay, there's eight of us going, there's one couch in the living room that looks super saggy and maybe sits three people. The dining room table only has four chairs. Like, you know, there's a bunch of random, it's like, you would just put this together in your head and be like, this doesn't make sense. Like we can't stay here or yeah. <laughs> there's nothing like here or, or basically like this is a white room with old you know, falling apart furniture. Why would I go here? Like, why would we spend the weekend here? Right. 
why would I come here? Why is this even available for people to go to? Because who is going here? Right. And I think think what it was, and it still is basically, is people have second properties that either currently or at some point in time they went up to maybe to ski or something and they used it as like a place to sleep, you know, once in a while. Right. And so to them, it was this like second property, like, why would you invest in it? What, you know, we don't care. We're skiers. We're just going to come back here at night to crash or something, you know, but then they've got it listed now on vacation rental sites and now it becomes like, you know, you got to give people a reason to book it. So right, right. I kind of like this idea in my head, like, or, or at least the acknowledgement that this was a problem <laughs> started like, like a long, long time ago, pre coffee shop and everything. I just never really did anything about it. So once I sold my coffee shop, I started really formulating this idea and thinking like, I could combine, like, I love real estate. I love, you know, I want to flip, renovate, uh, work on houses. And there's this like problem to be solved that Airbnb and VRBO hosts, like don't need help with their houses and their listings. Starting to come together, right? You're like, you're like, oh, I really like this process of like renovating and changing the brand and image and like creation and starting this like vibe. And you're like, oh, I remember all this shit that I like to do and I see what's wrong with all the shit that these people are doing and they're on their way in Hillary's head, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then also in tandem was the fact that like I wanted to buy my own place to flip and, you know, probably turn into a rental property, um, but also live in. So I moved up to New Hampshire and like, it's not like I was like ready to go with this business idea. Like I was so burned out from four years of the coffee shop. So I actually did go back to the corporate world um, on purpose, you know, obviously not ideal and not long-term, but I knew I needed the paycheck and I knew I like needed that time to like be on somebody else's dime at this point and not be managing myself. So I very intentionally went back to the corporate world. I, you know, save up money. I, was able to get a you know mortgage and start saving money again and stuff. So um, I did end up buying my first condo in Dover, New Hampshire, and I renovated it um, over the course of like a little over a year while living there. Um, and the whole time, you know, I had this business idea, um, and the other business idea that I had was very very parallel to getaway vacation properties, but also combining my coffee shop owner experience and the recognition that like small businesses need help with similar things. Like a lot of coffee shops, restaurants, retail stores, you know, there's these crazy high statistics of them going out of business so often. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And it, and in my head, like it is similar to the reason why the Airbnb listings aren't getting booked, right? Like it's um, a design thing. It's, you know, the, it's not the right vibe. Um, it's not different than anything else. It's not giving people a clear reason to go there. Yep. Um, and so it's like 
differentiation and just good design, good branding, good marketing. And so those similar services, like all the, the stuff that I had learned while in the corporate world about marketing and product management and, you know, pricing strategies and all that combined with like the renovation piece of it. And now combined with my experience starting and owning the coffee shop. Um, so like both my businesses are using a similar like skill set from me and a similar perspective, but I'm marketing craft business builders towards uh, small businesses, um, mostly brick and mortar, but I'm also working with, for example, like a construction company right now, um, a flooring company. So really a variety of just small businesses um, and doing all sorts of like branding and, and marketing work, um, again, ranging from like building websites to interior decorating. But it makes sense though, because it's, you, you have one uniqueness and one strength that's like very identifiable and you're like, okay, I'm serving two different audiences. I'm doing two different, very different things to accomplish very different things. So even though in the hub is still me and that's what makes me good at the things that I do, I'm going to separate these things because it's like for, for the same reason, for the, for the same reason that you help other people, because then it's very clear what those two priorities are when you interact with that brand of like, what is it that I'm getting from this? What is it that I'm serving and doing? The reason why you help people is to make that very clear with their business, that their audience works. Same reason why you're going to create getaway vacation properties and then also uh, craft business, (laughs) right? Yeah, totally. So I know in some ways it's like maybe a little, you know, overcomplicating it that I've created two companies out of it, but I do feel like it it is I think it's right. much simpler for me to market to the different audiences and they are actually different audiences. So like people that own vacation rentals, some of them may do it full time. I mean, there's property management companies, obviously that's their business. Um, And there's people like me who are wanting to head in the direction of continuing to accrue um, rental properties as a source of income. But for most people, that's not their primary income. It's considered passive income or secondary income. Um, So these aren't people who are really thinking, I'm running a business. They're thinking, yeah, I do, you know, whatever it is my day job is. And we've got this vacation rental up north that brings us in a little cash. So Getaway Vacation Properties really allows me to like speak to that audience and talk about, you know, through my Instagram, I'm able to talk about all sorts of like hosting tips and things specific to Airbnb, um, things specific to vacation rentals and guests and like really customize that content to be beneficial to them. And then with Craft Business Builders, I'm really speaking to that audience who whatever business they're running, it is their, their primary business and income. And, um, you know, it leverages a lot of my similar skill sets, but, you know, in, in different ways and on the small business side, you know, especially with, so marketing or at least me feeling like who I can help most are like the coffee shop type businesses, brick and mortar. And obviously with COVID, like, they're just that's not an audience that's in a position to but they you know, but they now hopefully now. saw the value in it because like 
I've said it on the show before, like going through, like we've reported with so many different businesses through COVID right now and talked about different stories. Definitely don't blame anyone for not having the right plan in place for COVID. So I'm not saying that to anyone out there. Don't get mad at me. But what I will say is like COVID exposed all the over leverage that's out there, all the things that maybe should have been fixed before, like you could just kind of make it work. It just made it so that like nothing can work unless you are like absolutely fucking on point and you have are also able to adapt and then like create that need again. And the businesses that are like really hurting right now, except for the ones that exclusively by regulation are just unable to like function. That's a different story entirely. But the businesses, like, let's just say restaurants, restaurants have traditionally gone on really low margin living. Like they just, it's always been an industry that doesn't have the highest, you know, debt to income ratio of how it's working, but it's fine for the way that it works for the most part. Right. But in this time COVID happens and you don't have a process in place for online ordering or delivery or pickup, or like you haven't adapted some way to make it so that you're an option that makes sense. Like all of that, I think ties to the same thing is like, if you're unable to think that way of like, what is it that's, that's stopping people from coming here? Like, why is it like, I felt like our ice cream business is good and we're selling these hot dogs and sandwiches and like, blah, blah, blah. Like, why are people not coming here? Why is this not working? And like, you come in and you're like, you're like, well, look at the vibe here. Like, well, do you want to sit in here? Like, would you, is this where you look at the Airbnb and you're like, it's got eighties carpet everywhere. And you're like, well, that's fine when it's my family. And I just bought this vacation place for the cheap. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to go up by the lake and hang. like, that's different story than someone picking from 200 properties instantly. And has, that's not the same situation that you are. And thinking that way of like, I honestly think that like good entrepreneurs, they think not like literally they maybe use their own biases of like ways to form opinions, but they're literally thinking of like, I'm, I'm a brand new person that wakes up today. I walk into the business. What happens? Where is their friction? Like how fucking hard is it for me to do the thing that I'm supposed to do to get what I want? Of it? Oh, really hard? Not going here. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, I feel on the other side of that, there's this wall of people that that the reason why a business fails is because they're not really digging deep empathetically to understand that view of like, like, Oh, I can't understand it. You know, um, like one thing is, is audio engineers, like all the time. Like I, I love you guys to death. I am one nerd side of me comes right out, but sometimes a big habit for our piece of the industry, we talk about gear. We put pictures of gear on our website. We talk to artists about gear, like gear and like stuff comes up because we're fucking really into it because we're engineers. So we're like, oh my God, like this compressor, it sounds so clean and high end. It really like, we just talk about it. We're really excited about it. At the end of the day, the artist who isn't an audio engineer does not give a shit about it. They don't care. And so by talking about that all the time or using it like in conversation of like why their project is going a certain way or as an excuse, they don't care. They don't care about it. And being unable to empathetically understand what it is that's going through their head. You have to get inside that customer's head, get inside that experience head of how is it being viewed from the other side of what I'm creating? How is that happening now and being interacted with and what am I causing or getting out of the way? And it's like that 
I guess like just roping it back in because I went like tangenty on this, but roping it back into restaurants, I think a lot of them after this, maybe they're not in the position where right now they have the moolah to do an investment. But I think after this, there's really like a, if I don't, if I'm not like the place, then like that is a problem and I need to figure out what that is. And then I need to invest in very simple things that just make it so that I'm the place. Like, why am I the place that gets all the five-star reviews? You're you're spot on. I mean, I, the only, like, I've been trying to be flexible with my own business during all this too. And, um, you know, so I've actually more so been focused on trying to market, um, like web design services to people, which I'm perfectly, you know, skilled to do. I mean, that's, that's not the only thing I do, but just recognizing that the times we're in, like everyone is really shifting their attention to web stuff and maybe almost feeling like exposed if, if they don't have a sufficient website. So, you know, I've been leaning in a bit on that, just recognizing that that's important right now. Um, but you know, I, I absolutely want to get back to the place and really get to the place where businesses are leveraging me for more than just, you know, a web design or a logo design. Like that's, to me, those are like tools in the toolbox. So those are things that I do, but they're just parts of like what I can bring to the table. Um, and I think that is, you you talk about why would you choose a business? That is what I'm trying to market myself, um, on that value is like, you can go to a graphic designer for a logo. You can go to an interior designer to pick out your chairs and your light fixtures you can go to a web developer to build you a website, but everything's going to be very piecemeal um, and disparate. So by coming to me, like I've been in the shoes, I've started a business. Like I see all the parts of the, that make up the whole, when it comes to like your brand, your image, your, you know, and like you said, it's really all about what the customer sees. And that is literally all that matters. Like, yep. Uh, like it doesn't, you know, I, a lot of what I do is what I've done for myself successfully is keep things really affordable as long as they look really good and work really well. And, you know, an example of that is like in my um, vacation rentals, I have an island light fixture that is $35 like barn light from Lowe's. And it looks Wonderful. great and it's on trend and it's 35 bucks. Other people might think, oh my God, a light fixture, I'm going to be spending 300 or 400 bucks. Like I just have become good at shopping because I'm like savvy like that and like to stick to a budget and have just like learned where I can find good deals. But you, there's always a way to design yourself well without being high end and spending a fortune. Yeah, if the light didn't have that effect, you wouldn't buy it for $35. No. You're only going to buy it for $35 if you can have the same exact effect for not paying 400, right? Cuz that's Correct. what makes you good at that. Piece. So I so it sounds silly, but it's like I I have shopping skills, I guess, like that is that's, that's one of legit. my skill set. That's not a skill that everyone has. It sounds so stupid, but <laughs> it's, it's like it's important, I guess. If you ever uh, walked in a room and was like, yo, I have mad shopping skills, then it would be very stupid. Well, the <laughs> but when you explain it, it like that, that's that's a legit skill. The, that's not easy to do. You want to know the do. big irony? <laughs> when I was at Northeastern getting my first co-op, 
one of the ones I applied for was actually at TJX corporate and it was a shopping internship. And it was like, for their marketing department, they would send their intern into their stores to pick out like outfits or whatever to bring back to do like photo shoots of for their marketing department. So essentially this was a shopping internship and I applied for it at first (laughs) and I ended up bowing out of the interview because I actually thought to myself career-wise I can't have my first internship be shopping that's absurd like that is not like a (laughs) career move so I was like as cool as that would be I don't think that's a good career move but it's like really ironic because it comes back around and now I'm like hey guys I'm really good at shopping that's one of my skill sets yeah but well that's uh, like the same thing as like what I was telling when we were having lunch and I was telling you about like what I'm trying to do with the studio that I'm trying to go. And so I'm getting this, I'm trying to get this for those that you don't know, I'm trying to get this rural ass property where I renovate a barn into a studio. I know that that's been done a lot too. So I know that that's not the original piece, but like back in the day, many artists would go out and they would go to these French chateaus and like these like countryside barns and they would live there for like two months and record all in one. And so the vision is to have it so that people pay their all in costs. So first of all, like there's no hourly stressor. There's no like stress to it. It's just like, I'm going to pay this thing and get the thing. Just like we were talking about, like, what is a customer? What am I getting for what I'm trying to do out of the experience? Am I getting the thing that I'm asking for? You pay this cost, then you get this thing, right? So stress is going away in terms of price. Cause I know that there's no other thing that comes at me location is very rural out in the countryside. So you're in Boston, you get up here and now it's that experience in terms of a vacation that you do, the thing that you love artists like that too, because they need to chill out and just do the art and unconnect, get off Facebook, do that. But my long point to this, I guess, is that it's an experience that I'm trying to make. And that's the only thing that I'm after is like, how do I make it so that an artist can live at a place that is a non-stressful environment not get stressed out by the price that they pay for their project, not get stressed out by me talking about a lot of tech bullshit unless they want to go into the weeds like that with me, then I'll talk all day about that gear. And it's just the thing that I want to get, the way that I want to get it, and this is what I do to get the thing. It's very simple like that. That's what you're aiming at for businesses. That's what you're aiming at for the Airbnbs in terms of what you're doing with your brands is just how do we take some very simple things and just make it so that it's the right location vibing the right way. And it's just presented in a way that makes it simple to get the thing that people are trying to do to get out of it. Because the reason why Airbnb things lose in the 200 is because someone went through and took pictures of like this notebook or something, or they took a picture of like this chair because they love that chair. And then you're like, but people going through don't understand that that chair means the same thing as your 20 years ago Nana who owned that chair and it meant the world to you. Like they don't, they see that picture when they're scrolling through and it looks like a piece of shit chair. So it's not doing the thing that you think that it's doing. That's like what you're about is just like, if people aren't seeing that piece, it's just like, okay, well let's just turn this this way and just present it this way because that's what you meant. This is a cool spot. This is a sweet place to be. I want to be here. Let's make it so people understand this is the thing that you're actually trying to say. Let's make it so that you're saying it that way because you just don't know. 
Yeah, I just tying a couple things you're saying, like all back together too. So like one of the pieces, and I don't think I've mentioned, so I had, I mentioned I had bought a property in Dover. I did eventually also buy a second house um, near Lake Winnipesaukee. So that is a vacation rental now. And as Dave started off this episode mentioning, I have my house rented out currently and I'm making good money on it while also staying myself in an Airbnb. And <laughs> it sounds, it sounds, um, inception, like, inception. Well, yes. Yeah, so it, it sounds almost like too, uh, scripted to like put together. But basically the reason why that's possible is because I'm staying in a less expensive mm. Airbnb. And the reason why it's less expensive is because it's not done very well in, in all honesty. Like it's a, you know, I'm not saying I'm staying in a, a shithole here, but it is a, a very basic, um, you know, beige wall apartment. Function. The furniture is very mismatched and feels kind of honestly like cheap and college dormish, like really like weird, you know, weird lamp here or there, like a cheap, I'm sitting at this like cheap plastic table that is their dining room table, but also I've just, it's basically the size of a desk and I've been using it at a desk while I'm here. The pots and pans in the kitchen are basically cheap college dorm stuff that everything burns to. And like, yeah. it's just not done very well and it has so much potential. So I like think about really sometimes, you know, I do interior design and decorating, but design is more the permanent stuff, obviously. That's Hillary's like, going to like leave a plan there at her well, Airbnb while I she's never, away from so her I, Airbnb about like, listen, while I was hanging out at your Airbnb, yeah. this is like what you should do. <laughs> well, I can't, I like, I'm probably not. I, it's very, it's like, feels very like unsolicited advice to do that to this person. But <laughs> like, I do think about what I would do and the des interior design is actually not what is needed here. Like the flooring is fine. The appliances and kitchen stuff are newer. Like the bathroom is newer. Nothing needs like redoing or major renovations. All it really needs is decorating. Like it needs these like heavy black blackout curtains taken off of like all the windows in this apartment and some cute stuff put up it needs some cuter stuff on the wall it needs some good area rugs it needs like non-college dorm room furniture right but she could be getting at least double or triple a night for this if she had you know was doing it a little nicer so i guess i shouldn't <laughs> complain because this is why i'm able to make money um but essentially my house is rented out for like three times the amount that I'm paying to stay here. So that's, but going back to what I was actually going to say is like your whole point, And I think you and I are so spot on. And like, I love that you get this is <laughs> just have to get every business, no matter what you're selling, mm -hmm. you have to have a clear reason why somebody is going to buy what you're selling. That's right. Like we, you don't need to convince me that coffee is going to sell. We already know people are going to buy coffee. Like that is a fact. People why think that people coffee gonna, is a good thing. Why are people going to common... buy coffee from you? Yeah. What about your coffee shop is going to be unique and different and make people go out of their way to buy their coffee from you for your, um, 
you know, for your studio, I think you've got an amazing idea there. And like a hundred percent, it's going to work because you know, your market, um, you know, your industry and you're absolutely right about that desire for artists to have, you know, places to go away. Like that is a premium experience and, and people are willing to, you know, pay for that. But also in general, these days, partly this was happening already. And I think partly this is amplified by COVID, but our generation in particular is really looking to quote unquote, like escape the city. So people that live in cities and more populated spots for work typically are realizing that they can now work from anywhere. And it's become this like remote work is the culture. So if you remote working, why be remote working from your cramped studio apartment in Boston when you can be remote? Looking at the same old brick wall from a lake house or from a cabin or you know from a you know cool little rustic camp up in the mountains or something. So you know people are really flocking, I think, to that that more rural, rustic, like um, yeah. like away from it all destinations and the houses themselves are becoming the destination, which obviously feels validating because this was my idea anyway with getaway vacation properties, but it's really showing it that people are looking for a nice place to actually be. It's not just about a place to sleep at the end of the day when you're out skiing, like then you don't care. But if it's a, it's a, if it's a house to spend time with your family in or a romantic weekend or to write or to work or to paint, um, you know, people are really appreciating like nicer spaces and are willing to pay a little bit of a premium. Um, so, I mean, it's just, to me, it's kind of a no brainer that you can invest a little bit in making an actually nice Airbnb. It's not a, a theory basically. Like it's, it's not just high hypothesis. It's just true. Like I, have been getting five-star like awesome reviews from my guests so far and everybody's feedback has been basically this you know we were looking to spend some time in the lakes region your house is way nicer than other ones we can find even lakefront so basically we're happy to stay up here it's 15 minutes from the water it's not a water property and it's just you know, a nice house to stay in during your time there. I've, you know, guests were just saying they appreciated that I had like real knives, like good quality knives and silverware. They liked cooking, like that, you know, they'll be back. Like everyone's, you know, really loving it. And, but anywho, that, um, like that mentality, basically that, that entrepreneurial, like slight competitiveness, I guess, of, of just like, how do I make whatever I'm making, like, how do I make it awesome? How do I make it, um, you know, it gets a little competitively, like better than what people can get out there elsewhere or different, at least like you don't have to be competing to put other businesses out of business, but you just have to carve out your own niche. Like that is my like mantra basically is to like stand out from the rest, find a way to, create unique value. Um, I'm like really bullish on this. Like you, you can be in rural ass Alabama 
right? And you can open a recording studio or you can open a coffee shop or whatever it is that you want to open. You don't have to, what she's saying is like, you don't need to be the, I don't know, name your fortune 500 company. You don't have to be like a ridiculously, the biggest business in the entire world, the biggest ridiculous thing in the entire world to be successful. You can be a mom and pop, small little shop in the middle of absolutely nowhere. But if you don't have a uniqueness to you of why you should be the thing that people engage with, then you can't keep doing that basically. Like for you to be successful, like really like my version of success has changed so many times and it's really just ultimately landed at a lifestyle and, and freedom and ability and choice. It's, it's, it's so open and vague now, but if you want to have a small mom and pop shop, you can make it the best shop in the entire world without having the biggest cash flow in the entire world just by making it so that you are a unique thing that people want to engage with and that will just continue to give you success, I feel like, right? It doesn't matter where you are. If you have that niche or you have that reason to be the Airbnb or whatever it may be, you just need to have a reason for like, why am I even doing this basically? Like, what is my my purpose of yeah. doing this thing? And if you're like, your thing that you've created doesn't have that easily right to understand and then it's you kind of have to ask yourself that then you have to be like why do i do this then and and more so than that to jump off of that i actually like i'm such an entrepreneur i'm so like freaking passionate about small businesses and i actually have like a i don't even know the right word for it like a like a i, I want to like wave a flag around like promoting how much better small businesses are than corporate giants and how much of an opportunity it is, right? Because when you're a small business, you can be creative. You can try new things every day. Like when I had my coffee shop, we would have a sandwich special every single day. And my goal is just to come up with like the most interesting random combination of ingredients I could to create like a fun sandwich special and see if people would want it. And that's so, and people appreciated that. Whereas when you go into a corporate chain, like you're always going to get the same mediocre crap all the time. So their angle, like their advantage, let's say Panera bread or a Starbucks, right? Their advantage over an independent coffee shop is consistency and is their brand. So you know, wherever you are, you can walk into a Panera bread and you know exactly what you're going to get. It's not going to be the best sandwich you've ever had, but it's okay. Like it's not bad. Um, prices, you know, snuck up a little bit. So look getting a little pricey now, but like the consistency of knowing exactly what you're going to get, that's their advantage. Um, and they've, and they've, built that up. And that for, that is true for all corporate chains. You think about how crappy Dunkin' Donuts egg sandwiches are, but you'll buy them. Everyone will, they sell millions of them because it's a consistency thing. You know, you can go to Dunkin' Donuts and get a breakfast sandwich, but as a small business, like it's not, it, I don't look at it as, oh my gosh, how are we going to compete? Like, how can I possibly compete against Dunkin' Donuts and, and Panera? I look at it as like, like a fun party. Like I'm going to walk in there and it's not difficult to create something better than them because 
they've got mediocre microwave egg sandwiches. Like, yeah, it's crappy food. Like, it shouldn't be difficult to make something better than that, basically. So nimble. I I think if businesses, if small businesses feel, you know, put out of business or like they can't compete with corporate chains, honestly, that means you're not doing something right because there's so much fun, you know, ideas, business ideas, ways to, you know, create community, play to the local aspect, you know, you know, your local area better than the national chain does. Yep. Um, you can create custom menu items. You can try out different stuff. Like, you know, there's, it just, I, I definitely just don't buy it that you can't compete as a small business. Well, my only argument, and this is what we talked about when we had lunch for when we were saying like what what your head and your role is geared by. This is like literally what I think creates all small business issues, including in my own, right? Because every one of us has a personality that has strengths and weaknesses and it's up to us to adapt and create different ways to combat that. And I think that there are people that start a business because they were good at making the sandwich. Like they were really good at making coffee. They made the coffee. The coffee was never burnt. It always, their pour over was fucking on point. They (laughs) always made like everything was perfect. It's always perfect. Their customers love that person. They're the best person ever to have around. Their personality is warm. You go into that coffee shop because that person, right? Those people go out and start businesses because they're good at that. Yes. But they are not good at running a business sometimes. And yes. those are the people that can't take that nimbleness or yes. that lightweightness to having a small business and adapt because they're good at running it. They're good at doing the same thing, but they cannot think about different ways or different avenues to go to either completely flip the script or like do something different for that day. Or like, how do I, now I've got this big company that's next door and this is the one issue that they create for me. So how am I going to create this other thing? Boom. This is the thing that I'm going to do now. Everyone has a different role. And for those of you out there that haven't read the book, I really encourage you, if you're in this spot trying to figure out who am I, the E-Myth Revisited, I've had it in some other episodes. I'll put that in the show notes for this one. But I read that book and it told me a lot about myself of who I am. I am the entrepreneur, which I love, super pumped up about it, energetic about it. The entrepreneur creates ideas, but doesn't always have the best way to manage. Like, like what are the systems that happen with it? And doesn't always do the actual technician piece of it. Like, if you're the sandwich maker, they might not always be the best sandwich maker, but they know how to come up with the sandwich, you know, and you can be multiple roles too. Like I can be, I do make systems. Like I do come up with software that I can use for my rental property, or I do come up with, you know, templates that I can use for my recording projects, but I hate that. I hate it. And so a lot of times it'll make me slow and reluctant and molasses on getting that done and I just know myself enough now that I'll say, hey, Meg, my wife, who is like amazing with management, amazing with systems, but doesn't like creating like different, she does too, but maybe not as much with different ideas or avenues to go on. It's like, you need to know who you are before you choose the thing that you're going to do, because it really dictates like how that's going to go. If you're the 
the thinker of coming up with new ideas, but like you hate creating systems at some point, you're going to get bitten because you're not doing things efficiently or you're not planning things out well. Or like if you're the technician and you create, you're amazing at the role, it maybe just be the best effing person at that role in the absolute planet. And you'll be known for that, but maybe don't start a business because you're not meant to manage other people. Cause maybe you're not good with people. Or maybe you're not good at coming up with these different ideas, or maybe you're the manager where like you understand all the technician roles, you understand how to work with them, you understand so much what they do that you create better systems for them that act on that make them more efficient, and you understand the entrepreneur who's coming up with these different ideas to create new paths, but you have to kind of mold them and say, listen, like I get what you're saying, good idea, I'll roll with it, but hey you have to figure out some way that there is consistency in this friggin' sandwich. Like we have to great idea for a sandwich today, but how do we make it so that that thing actually happens? If customer at noon says that they love the sandwich and at 3 PM, someone else wants to come in cause they heard about it. And then our sandwich sucks. Like you got to know who you are before you jump into each thing. And I, I ultimately also think that's why every business fails is because someone just fell off course for who they were versus what they were subbing out or outputting for that. Yes. Job. So, yes. So there's a huge, I mean, I obviously wasn't the model of it. I learned it the hard way too. I turned out to, although I could manage the business day to day and I could manage people that, you know, sucked the life out of me basically, and just wasn't where I belonged, you know, so figuring out what my strengths were, the, the startup project, the planning, the vision, the the brand concept, the renovations, like that whole startup phase of really creating that concept like that. And, you know, launching it to getting it to the point where like every detail is in place and, and your menu and your interior and your website and everything is just like ready to roll like is it is what customers are looking for you know shows that you understand your target customers um and just overall like presents yourself professionally like that is what i'm now trying to help other businesses with because that is i believe what many of them do need help with and i absolutely hate you know having been in those shoes like i hate the knowledge of how hard it is to run a business and the fact that many of them aren't going to make it. And that my, so my, so business, I, I heard a different podcast that basically said, um, stop complaining about problems. The definition of business is problems. <laughs> it's just a matter of how you react to them or solve them or manage them. Right. But business is a series of problems for you to solve and manage. So I I loved that. And it was kind of like a good, like water over the face, like stop complaining, you know, thing. But my problems as a business owner were that we were so damn busy. I like had, I couldn't possibly keep enough staff. We had lines out the door. I ran out of, uh, you know, equipment space. I ran out of storage space. We had to buy a shed to keep dry storage. in. I needed, we had to buy, we had to put electricity out in the shed and a freezer to store back up ice cream. We didn't oh have enough God. freezer storage. So like my business problems were that we were so popular that my place was too small and I couldn't keep enough staff. Right. So do you want those to be your problems you're dealing with? Or do you want your problems to be 
that you are working in your business every day because you don't have enough money. You don't have enough sales or customers to hire other people that you are throwing away inventory because it's going bad because you're not going through it fast enough. I've heard that. I don't know if I heard it from the same source or not, Hillary, but like I, that made me stop and think a lot. Whereas like what, I don't think it was about just business, the person who I, whatever I was listening to, because they were saying like, you need to decide in life, like what problems do you want to have every day? And that should determine like what job or business or thing that you do. Because for me, I can't deal with the problems that I face in a nine to five of I'm not fulfilled and I can't be told by someone what to do. Unfortunately, I'm like unemployable. I like cannot be told by someone what to do. I have to create it. Right. So those are, those are the problems that I can't deal with every day. I can deal with the volat the vol, the validity. Would it be vol validity when I'm looking for volatility? Volatile? The volatility. Thank you. Yeah, maybe. The volat- I can deal with the volatility of an entrepreneur life for like the ups and downs of cash flow. I can deal with the economic changes and then like having to readapt in there. I can deal with those. I'll probably be, I'll be stressed like anyone else. You know what I mean? I'll be like, holy shit, how am I making money this month? But I can handle those problems each day. I just can't handle these other problems. It's like, what, what problem do you want to have? Like, I would rather face the problem, I guess, of like having too many customers and having to figure out solutions of like how I'm going to service that many customers. I definitely personally rather have that problem than have no one in my store and be like, shit, my problem is that like, I don't know how to get people in here. I have plenty of space. I have plenty of whatever. Yeah. And the iron, I don't, I don't know if irony is the right word here, but the, the, the sad part of it is that you hear people, small business owners all over the place saying, you know, if you said, oh, why don't you hire a consultant or a marketing specialist or, you know, a branding person, or maybe, you know, renovate your store. I don't have the money. They would say, oh, I can't afford that. And that is the saddest thing because if, if you're already saying, I can't afford that, like you're, you're giving up basically. Like you're, you're just saying that I'm going to ride this wave downwards and it's not going well, but I can't afford to actually hire someone who's going to help me. And I mean, not that you can fix all of that in the world. That's just going to keep happening. But, you know, part of my, my own marketing strategy is to actually be focused on startup businesses and the startup phase, because I feel like that is the best place to prevent issues before they start. And as much as I would love to help businesses with like complete rebrandings or, you know, renovations, you know, they, I do recognize like many of them are just not willing to, because, you know, they realistically have to, take a loan or something to be able to afford services, hiring services. And, and, you know, they are unlikely to, to do that. But at the startup phase, if somebody recognizes the importance of this, you basically say to yourself, can I afford not to have a marketing consultant involved? Can I afford to just guess at this, throw darts at the wall you know, I'm just going to pick this color. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to buy these chairs. It'll all be fine. I make a good, you know, whatever their food is. Right. But like it, 
is something where it's like, can you, like if you're already investing, you've got this big startup budget, you've got to take a loan, you've invested in your savings, like put an extra 10, 20, 30,000 into that budget for help, professional help. And again, it's like, can you afford not to? Like That's like last week we were talking to a doing, photographer. This amount of money is going to be the difference between you having good problems in your business, you opening up your doors and trying to stay in stock on everything and hire enough staff to serve your customers and, you know, versus the crickets, you open the doors and the crickets and you're there behind the counter every day and nobody's really coming. And like, I mean, I can't imagine not only the financial like ramifications of that, but emotionally, like how bad you pour yourself into this business, you put up your life savings, like, and customers aren't coming. Like I, I just, that like my heart goes out to that. And I am so passionate about this and I genuinely want to help. I want help. That is like why I started up this business as a consulting business. Like, I mean, part of it is because I'm an entrepreneur and I don't want to work in the corporate world and I'd rather get you know, make a living doing what I'm good at and passionate at. Yeah. But like behind all that is like, I could go, I could do consulting in the corporate world easily, but I don't want to. Like, I want to help small businesses. <laughs> and there's plenty of stuff I'm not good at, but that I have this one thing where I really feel like I can help and, um, you know, that's what motivates me. So I'm out there marketing myself, you know, doing my social media account, working on my website, trying to network, just trying to get, you know, found out there because I, I believe that, that I can help, you know, set businesses up for success and, and, you know, make it an easier road up upwards of growth and, and really avoid like a lot of common missteps at the beginning that end up causing businesses to go out of business later. Right. So Hillary, cause like I will probably talk to you other times and uh, I would continue to talk right now because this is just what I talk about, but we do need to end this episode sometime because we, <laughs> we will keep going. Five questions that I ask at the end of every episode. Um, you don't have to think too long and heavy like it's kind of meant for like some of them are heavy questions so sorry but you you kind of don't think too heavy on it like just answer the way that you feel at the moment and you don't if you need a second to think about it that's totally cool but like don't don't go too into it so the first question would be and it and it's kind of answered through the episode i feel like i say this every time it's kind of answered in the episode but i feel like when i ask it at the end i get a different answer when it's pointed like this. Why is it that the things that you're doing right now, why are these the things that you wake up every day to do instead of any other thing that you could possibly do like for your life? Like, why do you have to wake up and do this every day? Why would you not go do anything else? Like, why is this the thing? I think I'm a natural maker personality. I just like, I love and have a drive to create and that's what drives me is the the constant 
um, goals of what I'm trying to create in that moment, whether it's for myself or for a client, but I, I love creating. Fair. It can be that simple. What, how about along the way, say you could take the, the thing that you learned from this and just magically pop it into someone's soul. Like they didn't have to learn a damn thing. They just inherited that lesson that you got. What's like the worst thing that you did along the way? Like the thing you're like, don't do this thing. If you could learn from it, learn the lesson, but like this sucked. Don't do that thing. Huh? That is a tougher one. (laughs) I had to change it because people would just be like, I don't regret anything. I learned something from it. I was like, I know you did, but like, what's the thing that sucks to do? Like, (laughs) you know, uh, I would say that I went into the coffee shop with not enough money that I was really, really, really stubborn. As I told you about getting it started and my motivation to leave my corporate job at the time was so strong that I didn't feel like I could wait another six months or another year to save more money. Um, I, I, and so I really bootstrapped with, you know, the personal loans, credit card stuff and, and all my savings into it. And it's not that that was the problem, but it was that I was so scrappy with my budget that the first year in business was brutal. Like I, you know, they don't, I didn't really have much of what they call working capital, just cash sitting in the bank while you're trying to build up that volume. Um, I opened my doors to the new coffee shop in the beginning of November, which meant I was going into winter as my first season. Stupid, really stupid. So those first few months were, you know, we were building word of mouth, but we're slow and rough. Um, so I was silly in thinking that, you know, I could just do it with whatever money I had. I, if it hadn't been for my dad, like floating me a few thousand dollars that first winter, like, I don't know how I would have paid my bills. So, so have some, some, have some working capital so that that way you can make some extra decisions to be liquid along the way. Yeah. You'll hear it from like advice from anyone, any entrepreneur, any business coach, mentor out there. Like they always say, whatever you think you need to start up, plan on more. But I was like young and stubborn and just said, no, I can do it on this. So it's like, you know, you learn my lesson there for sure. Flip side to it. Chance to be optimistic here. Best decision that you made along the way. I would say I'm really proud of myself for maybe this isn't what you're looking for, but like, I'm not looking for anything. Every, I guess like each step of my journey has been intentional and it's not necessarily something that happens overnight, but like once I realize something is right for me or, or, you know, something clicks in place, like to follow it. It's like that trust your gut thing. And, you know, it did not take me long to realize I actually wasn't the right fit for the coffee shop and needed to sell it. And it did take me a while longer, but I continued with that. And 
I chose to move to New Hampshire. People always say now, what, what, how'd you end up here? And a lot of people move places for jobs or for a boyfriend or something, but it's like, I wanted to live here. So I moved here. Like I had it, I I set on it. It's a good lifestyle for me. It's, you know, who I am, the outdoor, you know, lifestyle. And, and it was an intentional choice. So I know that's not really one specific thing, but I'm proud of myself and glad that I'm a person that like can be pretty intentional about choices and they might take a while, but to just keep going towards, you know, what, you know, no, that was definitely a good answer. Your basically your answer was just being intentional with your choices and I think that that is reflected in the same thing like I don't think I said this on the podcast yet but Meg dropped out of vet school because she wanted to and like th- we did an episode with my wife like way earlier Hillary where we talked about her choice to go for it and like kind of like our mindset of like blowing our life up to do that. And so when Meg said that to Hillary, like, Hey, like what's up with you? What's going on with you guys? And she said like, Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, just recently dropping out of vet school. Hillary like immediately was like, Oh, congratulations. It's awesome. Because she knew that it was on Meg's terms because of the way that she worded how she said, like, I'm, I've, I'm leaving vet school. Like I've chosen to drop out. Whereas a lot of people that she tells the news to, they're like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, yeah, but I chose it. I didn't fail out of it. I just chose to not be there because I realized that I want to just be a business owner. I don't want to be a vet in terms of the science and practice. And that is so strong because when you live on your own terms of like, I'm choosing to do these things and that's why I'm doing the things. And that's the only reason why I'm doing the thing. Then I feel like you're probably enjoying the process and living like, a happy day to day because like you're making the choices very intentionally of what you're trying to do. No one else is telling you the thing that you have to do. You're just doing the thing that you're supposed to do or that you feel like you're supposed to do. So that's a great answer. Next one's way easier. What is one or multiple resources that you'd recommend to people in the audience? It could be a book, could be a podcast, YouTube video series, film, like whatever, like what's some resources that you'd recommend to anyone can be any field, even mindset, anything they should check out. Okay. Okay. So my, the number one, other than waking up from work podcast, the number one podcast that I recommend (laughs) that I absolutely love is how I built this. And it is a, it's an NPR one by a guy named Guy Raz is the host. And it is the startup stories of all these brands and companies that are major mega companies now. And they're recorded recently. And it's the CEOs or founders of these companies telling their startup story. And just like the react, the humbleness, the there's no pretense. Like they're not like, oh, I'm the CEO of Chipotle and I'm going to pretend that I'm the shit. Like they will, they have no problem airing all of their dirty laundry from like the early days and, and telling you all the mistakes they made and telling you how like difficult it was for them and what they had to go through. And, and one of the messages that comes through in most of the episodes is that nobody believed in them at the beginning or like very few people did or understood their ideas. And that just like resonates with me so much because I think that is the entrepreneur journey is like this feeling of, you don't 
necessarily fit in with the rest of society or you yep. talk about all these ideas and everyone looks like you have three heads or you know your own family doesn't fully believe in you and yep. like knowing that, that that you're not alone in that and knowing that like the biggest brands nowadays like the jet blue chipotle the you know the founder of spanx um the founder of LinkedIn, the founder of Airbnb, like, like as an Airbnb person, I freaking love hearing Brian Chesky's story of when he and his roommate started Airbnb by two mattresses an, in, uh, in an apartment, an mattress right? In their living room in San Francisco. Like it so is good. The best story ever. So good. And I just really recommend this podcast. I think like every single episode you'll learn something from, it's just like very real, very fascinating. And if you're entrepreneurial and you ever find yourself like doubting yourself or just having those bad days, like there is just to me nothing more re-energizing than listening to these stories. Love it. We've had that in the show notes in the past, people, because someone else has recommended that too. But I will also have that in these show notes in case you didn't hear that episode. And I also don't know what episode that is. So wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes, you can check out. I'll have that link to that other podcast in there. But you know that this is really the best podcast. So you have to stay right here. But uh, all right, last question is the easiest, Hillary. So no more curveballs. People that have been listening this whole hour and a half long, God bless your soul. Where do uh, people catch up and keep up with you and your brands? Like what websites, social media, like where do people keep up with Hillary Lane and with craft business builders and getaway vacation properties. How do they keep up with you? Um, I'd say the easiest one, if you just need one to remember, would be my personal account, which is Hillary.Catherine, Catherine with a K. Um, that's what I'm joined through this Instagram live with. Um, so you might be able to see it if you're on right now. Um, and both of my businesses, craft business builders and getaway vacation properties are both tagged in my pres in my personal profile. So you can easily find my two businesses through there. Cool. Um, and then tagged through my getaway vacation properties business is my current Airbnb house, which also has its own Instagram and that's called the New Hampshire getaway. Still, nice I still can't believe you got that tag. It's still unbelievable it's a, to it's me. It's a really That's exactly what we're talking about. Exactly really the issue that Instagram you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, you can, if you're in the New Hampshire area and you're actually interested in a cool place to stay, you might want to check stay out there. that Instagram account and book it. Because fall, by the way, is going to be the best season of the year up near the lake. So with the leaf peeping and whatnot. So those are all of my Instagrams, but yeah, if you just remember one of them, I would say the Hillary.Catherine um, is my personal one and you can find my businesses through that. Sick. All right. Yeah. So anyone out there listening to the podcast on your way or doing something, uh, just head on over to wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes and all of those links that Hillary said will be there and you can check out her businesses and stuff and you should go stay in her sweet ass house in Durham. And uh yeah, thank you guys for hanging out with us on Instagram for like an hour and a half. And thank you guys for listening to this podcast, which will now be Tuesday. 
um, for this long. We really appreciate you guys hanging out with us and thank you for being on Hillary. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening. Sorry. It was extra long and I really appreciate the opportunity. So this was great. Thank you. That was awesome. Awesome. And thanks to Chad. Chad, Chad has legit hung out with us for like straight up an hour and a half and I've been like chatting with him. So cheers, man. Thanks for hanging out. (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 69 of the waking up from work podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out to the very end here. If you're listening to this, you hung out like a trooper to one of my long episodes. We definitely get there sometimes, uh, usually because I'm having a really good time. Not that the other ones are not a good time, but these are super good, I guess. But uh, if you want to hit up those show notes, check out the links, check out Hillary's stuff, head on over to wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes. If you want to pick up any of that cool ass merch that I made for the podcast, there's two shirts. They both have the podcast colors and there's a back on them that is way cooler than just the front that you see when you hit there. So check those out. Goes a long way. If you want to just support us for total freeness, then uh, it goes a long way just to share any of our stuff with any of your friends or leave us a review on iTunes because all that helps it get found. All that helps it just be a reason to do this basically. So I appreciate all y'all. I'm not Southern, so I can't really say that, but I did. And uh, really excited for, I guess, episode 70 is going to be a solo one. I kind of did that on purpose again because I'm going back and forth between these. I'm going to be talking about some stuff that's been happening recently where I've just had a lot of people fall out of being alongside me doing some of the things that I'm doing. And it's not because they're not good people and it's not because they're not hard workers. It's just part of this. And I want to talk about it with you in case you're seeing that too. So uh, episode 70 solo episode will be a quick one to counteract this. Maybe 30 minutes. We'll be going live at Dave Wake Up on Instagram, Thursday nights, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Come hang with me like Chad, and we'll chat. And uh, yeah, hell yeah, guys. Thanks for hanging out. Peace. Peace.